Welcome to Geological's mini-series dedicated to sports and orthopedic acupuncture. For the next few days, I'll be bringing you several podcasts a day from the Sports Acupuncture Alliances Conference in San Jose, California. In addition to interviews and discussions with speakers of the conference, you'll also be hearing from participants and you'll have a special front row seat at a roundtable conversation around the issues of running a sports medicine practice. The Sports Acupuncture Alliance was created to promote the study and practice of sports and orthopedic acupuncture. I'm delighted that they were willing to partner with Geological to bring you this mini-series so that those of you who were not able to attend the conference could learn from the speakers as well as the participants and to get a taste of what it's like to be here at this special event. Please enjoy these discussions and take what you learn here and use it in your clinic. These conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Worried that an EMR is too complex for you? Jane has friendly and knowledgeable support. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Are you concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, Ancestral Sturman offers up a sinew treatment, and the folks at Blue Poppy have something special to share as well. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. I don't know about you, but sometimes I take a step back and marvel at my acupuncture needles. I mean, they're the world's simplest medical tool, a sharpened wire and a handle. That's it. And with this simple tool, hundreds of health conditions can be resolved. I love it. What I didn't love was the amount of packaging waste I generated at the end of the day. But that has now changed too. Ever since I switched to AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles, I reduced my packaging waste by 90%. Not only are they a great needle, but the folks at AccuFast plant a tree for every two boxes of needles I use in the clinic. By switching to AccuFast Needles, you'll be helping patients, planting trees, and joining a community of practitioners changing the world. Like our simple needle, being a part of the solution, it's simple too. Visit AccuFastNeedles.com slash Geological to learn how. Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit Mayway.com to find the perfect Ponsar brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies. As we welcome the month of May, our focus is on women's health. Our newsletter articles and podcast episodes this month will highlight different aspects and unique challenges women face. So subscribe or tune in. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our women's health formulas this month. Just visit Mayway.com. This season and every season, trust Mayway Herbs for your health and wellness needs. And thank you for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. I love how technology can help to automate my office. And I want to share with you 
my favorite tool for doing so, Jane. Jane is a clinic management software in EMR with a human touch. Whether you're switching your software or going paperless for the first time, the Jane team knows that the onboarding process can feel a little overwhelming. That's why with Jane, you don't just get software, you get a whole team. Included in every Jane subscription is their award-winning customer support available by phone, email, and chat whenever you need it, even Saturdays. You can also book a free account setup consultation to review your account and ensure you feel confident about going live. If you're interested in making the switch to Jane, head to jane.app/switch to book a one-on-one demo with a member of their support team. And be sure to mention the code Geological at the time of sign up for a one month grace period on your new Jane account. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Geological and to our mini series here from the Sports Acupuncture Alliance conference here in San Jose, California. I'm sitting down right now with Amy Mall, and Amy did a presentation yesterday on acupuncture, but more importantly, the neurological system in the brain and concussion. Amy is a brain geek. She's a neurology geek. That's fair. And is that correct? That's fair. That's fair. That's okay, fair. that's a fair assessment. So, <laughs> uh, We're going to get into this. Amy, welcome to Geological. Thank you. Thank you. I'm really excited to be talking to you. Yesterday, I was busy in and out doing this podcast, so I caught bits and pieces of mm-hmm. what you were talking about. Enough to know, i got to sit down on one of your classes sometime. I'd like to begin with what got you going down the path of looking at neurology? Certainly my own experience with both concussions and subconcussive head trauma. I have a long history of doing martial arts, but also lots of high-impact sports. And I received numerous concussions between the ages of 17 and 33. And two of them were 10 days apart. And that was what really started a lot of my um, kind of ongoing chronic symptoms, what you could call post-concussion syndrome. And at the time, I was so busy with work and busy managing my practice and kept thinking that all of my symptoms were simply due to stress. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't making the connection between my history of multiple concussions, uh, the fact that I was going into sparring every week and having these subconcussive head traumas. And it wasn't until a book came out called The League of Denial. And that book was essentially what the movie Concussion was uh, modeled on. But the book went into a lot more of the research and ins and outs of different parties involved with concussions and kind of this NFL cover-up of the seriousness of concussions. And when I read that book, it was this eye-opener, and I started to think back throughout my life of, oh, let's see, I, I got kicked in the head that one time and knocked out, and oh, and then there was that wakeboard crash, and then there was that mountain bike crash, and then there was, oh, that that happened 10 days later, and then I realized, oh, and then there was, you know, those three months where I literally didn't sleep, I'd go to bed, and lay in bed all night long, and then the birds would start chirping at 5 a.m., and I realized, wow, I never actually slept. Yeah. I started to do a lot more research on concussions and post-concussion syndrome and recognized that I was a classic case of that. I started to do my own 
journey to heal my brain. And I started out very much with a functional medicine approach of what supplements are out there. And I was taking glutathione and that had a dramatic effect on my brain fog and my energy levels. And for the first time in two years, I remember waking up and going, oh, I actually feel awake and have energy. And I feel like it was very clear that supplements, herbs, nutrition got me maybe half of the way there. And I needed this other piece. Mm -hmm. And the functional neurology that I discovered was the piece that got me fully healed. Now, you'd been an acupuncturist prior to this, yes? Correct. I've been in practice since 2006. All right. Mm -hmm. So you you were already an acupuncturist. Mm -hmm. You've got these symptoms going on. You Mm -hmm. think, I'm I'm busy, I'm stressed, you know. Yes. And I had... If I slowed down, I'd be fine. Yes, and also I had I had chronic back pain from a snowboarding accident mm. that also happened in 2006. Mm-hmm. And I kept, again, blaming a lot of my symptoms on chronic pain and thinking, oh, well, if I just deal with chronic pain, I'll feel better. But the fact is, is that when you get a concussion, you lose that top-down modulation of pain. And so all of my concussions had gotten me to a place where my central nervous system was not inhibiting pain. So I could do all the acupuncture, all the chiropractic, all the massage, all the physical therapy in the world. But because I hadn't fixed the brain injury there was no pain inhibition happening. And so nothing I did helped my pain. And it wasn't until I fixed my brain that I'm now in a position where I don't have pain. And if I go do something stupid, like lift 24 heavy cinder blocks the other day and my back hurts, 24 hours later, I'm fine. You know, And so I have what I would call normal human right. pain that yes. comes on when you do something and then it goes away without yeah. me having to, to pay too much attention to it. Right, I mean, this is one of the ways we can tell someone's actually better. Mm-hmm. They go out, oh yeah, I worked in my yard all day Sunday and I was sore on Monday and I was fine on Tuesday. Exactly. And you go, great. Exactly. You're normal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Tell us about the training that you did. I had never heard of functional neurology. And when I went to Texas to do my DAOM program, one of the faculty members at the school was a chiropractor who had done functional neurology training. And he did some demos and taught some of our specialty clinic courses. And I think I was the only person in the room that was blown away and thought that was the coolest thing on the planet mm-hmm. and wanted to know exactly what he knew. And so he told now, had me... Had you already been tuned into you had an issue with your neurology? Or did that come later? That had already happened. That had already happened. So okay. when I, so when you I rea- were already woken up. Yes. And when I realized that I had all of these symptoms of post-concussion syndrome and that every single practitioner that I had gone to to help with my pain, nobody ever asked me, have you ever had a concussion? And I had been to neurologists and pain doctors and every I mean, I had six different PTs, like the best physical therapists in town, um, so many different chiropractors. And again, not a single person over the course of all of that care ever asked me about head trauma. And the neurologist that I finally got referred to because nobody could fix me, he spent maybe 10 minutes with me never touched me, never asked me about head trauma, threw a sample of Lyrica at me and, and acted like he was doing me a favor. And he said, I'm, I'll give you a sample of Lyrica and we'll, you know, we'll see if that helps you. That was the best that's, that's thing the best he had, had to, to offer. offer. Yeah. Uh-huh. And one of the side effects of Lyrica is suicidal thoughts. And so I took Lyrica and that was what happened. For two weeks, I wanted to kill myself. And I was so confused. 
I was so confused. Like, where are these thoughts coming from? Mm. And I was sitting at an oil change place one day getting my oil changed. And I, I didn't have a TV in my house at the time, so I don't watch commercials. And I'm sitting at this oil change place and a commercial for Lyrica comes on. And at the very end, it says side effects may include suicidal thoughts and desires. And I went, Holy smokes. (laughs) Yeah. And then I called their office and I said, I need to get off of this. And they go, oh, no, you can't just stop taking that. And I was like, "Um, yes, yes, I can. I'm on the lowest dose of your sample bottle. And I've been taking it for only three days and I'm done. Like, don't tell me I need to stay on this stuff. It was the wake up call that our entire community of healthcare providers is often missing this component of head trauma and how head trauma can be at the root cause of so many other symptoms. Mm -hmm. And many of the patients have no clue that their symptoms are associated with their concussions that may have happened five, 10 years ago. And nor do their practitioners. Exactly. Okay. So for us as acupuncturists, because we see all the, you know, we see all the weird stuff, Mm -hmm. right? People come, they, they do imaging or they have tests, I mean, whatever. And, you know, they come back, oh, you're clean. You don't have, they don't say we can't find what's wrong with you. They Mm -hmm. say you don't have a problem, Mm -hmm. right? We see a lot of these kinds of people. We know they have a problem because they're in our office. Yeah. For our listeners that weren't able to be here, what are some of the things that we'd want to look for that make us think, hey, maybe there's a uh, neurological issue and, you know, I need to look Mm -hmm. into this. I think that a lot of times the neurological signs and symptoms are staring us right in the face, but because we're not trained to see them, we miss them. Mm -hmm. And that can be as simple as when somebody says they have muscle cramps, muscles don't just cramp up on their own. There's a nervous system component to that. So as soon as somebody says they have muscle cramping, that's a nervous system symptom. As soon as you see somebody that might have a little facial tick, Mm -hmm. that's a neurological sign. Um, There's all these things that are sitting right in front of us that we're not paying attention to. And a lot of the kind of teaching that I do on the autonomic nervous system is trying to get people to pay more attention. Like when you're feeling someone's pulse, is one of their hands sweatier than the other? I mean, people's hands should be warm and dry. And if they're anything else, that person has lost their integrity of that autonomic nervous system. There's something going on. And so when we've got patients that just constantly have cold, clammy hands, or um, one of the things I see a lot are primitive reflexes, and there's one called a spinal gallant. And so you should be able to take, you know, a sharp edged tool and run it down somebody's back along the Huato Jaji points. Mm -hmm. And that person should not start to giggle or twitch or move. They should be able to just let that happen. And so as soon as you start touching people's backs and they start laughing or giggling or twitching or hitching their hip, you've got some primitive reflexes happening. You've got something going on. You've got okay, something going so on. So this, I think I've seen something like this where I do some points on the back mm-hmm. and in areas that, you know, usually you can touch and, and there's no big deal, but I, I touch them and they like giggle and they twitch and, and there's, it's like, it's weird. Yep. It's really weird. Mm-hmm. Not the whole back. It's usually just certain spots, but they're extraordinarily sensitive. So that yeah. would that fit into what you're talking about? From, from a functional perspective, that clues me in. Uh, the, the, the actual primitive reflex is called a positive spinal gallant. And a spinal gallant... Sounds like a dessert. <laughs> a French dessert? Yes. <laughs> well, with chocolate and, and bread. <laughs> 
Um, a, a positive spinal gallant is um, when you see this hip kind of hitch up when you run something down the back. But from a more functional perspective, if I see more of these subtle aspects of giggling or laughing or kind of wiggling mm -hmm. or increased sensitivity, that still clues me in that there might be some level of primitive reflexes happening. And so there's, again, with functional neurology, you're really looking at these subtle signs that just clue you in that something might be there. And they may not be as obvious as, you know, kind of these original um, intentions of the, the primitive reflex. Right. I, I know as an acupuncturist, you know, of course, I look at the tongue. One of the mm -hmm. classic neurological signs for us is some quivering or deviation of the tongue. Right? Mm -hmm. And I mean, we'll see this on, on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. Do you tend to see this with, with the kind of neurological issues that... I pay even closer attention to that. Mm -hmm. uh, back when I specialized in fertility, I think I was paying way more attention to the color of the tongue and, mm. you know, is there chi stagnation or heat or deficiency? And now that I am trained in neurology, I definitely pay very close attention to, is that tongue trembling? And um, what is the frequency of that trembling? And is it deviated left and right? And what does that um, indicate? So I pay a lot of attention to the tongue now and also the roof of the mouth. And so I have tongue depressors in my office and I will take a tongue depressor and a pen light and look in the back of their mouth and have them say, ah, 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 like 20 times. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking at, does that palate move? And if it moves, um, is there a difference between the left and the right palates? And so sometimes if people have immobility of the soft palate on one side versus the other, that gives me an indication that maybe that side of the brainstem is mm -hmm. not working as well as it could be. And of course, I'm asking myself, does that finding match up with other brainstem findings that I'm looking for. So I pay a lot of attention to the mouth. Hello everyone, Anne Cecil Sturman here. A working knowledge of the eight extraordinary channels from the unbroken oral tradition of acupuncture is valuable beyond words. The power of these channels is tremendous if the practitioner has well integrated diagnostic, theoretical and practical skill. You'll be familiar with Dumai, the governor channel or the sea of yang, the primal reservoir of yang, which ultimately finances all movement and growth. But this channel also governs the ability to self-determine. The psycho-emotional presentation of your patients can be matched to a classical activation of this channel, clearing impedance in the free flow of yang chi to body, mind and spirit. I'd like to share with you the marvelous potency of the Do channel in a full-length live treatment video from the seminar I taught last year in Melbourne, Australia. It's at ancecilsturman.com forward slash sinews2024. Click on the jump to free teaching button or see the link on my Instagram page at ancecilsturman. Thanks, Michael. Back to you. Interesting. So, I mean, I know a lot of people who do some osteopathy, you know, and they're often concerned about the sutures in the brain, the cranial base and all mm -hmm. these kinds of things. So mm -hmm. would this connect in with that, that maybe there's, there's actually something going on, not just with the brain, but with the, uh, the way the skull is and maybe the way the bones fit together? I practice craniosacral as well, and mm. certainly you can have neurological signs change from a cranial treatment. The cranial 
work that you do in craniosacral is can be extremely powerful and extremely deep and reach these deeper structures of the brain. And so I have a huge amount of respect for that kind of work. When I am doing a, a cranial nerve exam, my intention is not necessarily thinking in terms of sutures, but just looking at knowing what nuclei in the brainstem I'm analyzing. So if I'm looking at, you know, side to side movements, I understand that that involves certain cranial nerves and I can then kind of triangulate that to certain parts of the brain. You're looking for what parts of the brain have damage or might be affected or have some kind of an issue. Correct. Okay. In a very precise way, you know, not just trying to triangulate, oh, is this a cortical issue or a brainstem issue, but actually understanding, is this a prefrontal cortex problem or is this a right pontine problem? And so we are really trying to get to, is this a, you know, not just a brainstem, because the brainstem is the mesencephalon. Like what part of the brainstem is it? Exactly. The pons and the medulla. And so you can really start to understand, is this a pons problem? Is this a mesencephalon problem? Is this a prefrontal cortex problem? Is this a somatosensory mapping issue? So you're looking to get incredibly specific. Mm -hmm. What are some of the tests that you do? I mean, how do you do this? How do you dial this in? You're not doing the pulse to get this <laughs> kind of stuff, right? I mean, mm -hmm. you're using a whole different This is all through here. functional neurological examination techniques. And looking at eye movements give you a lot of information about different parts of the brain. And, you know, our ability to smoothly track a moving object involves the parietal lobe, but also involves the brainstem. Our ability to rapidly move our eyes from one target to a next involves the frontal eye fields and the frontal lobe, um, but also specific burst generators in the, in the brainstem as well. And so you can do all kinds of different tests to, again, kind of create a clinical picture of what you're seeing. And my tests are looking at the frontal lobe, the parietal lobe, the temporal lobe, the cerebellum, uh, the vestibular system. And so we have different tests and numerous different tests for each part of these, um, each part of the brain. And then also this cranial nerve exam gives you all kinds of information about very specific parts of the, the brain stem. How long does this take? When I have a new patient coming in, and at this point I'm only accepting patients that have neurological disorders. And I would say right now about 60 to 70% of my patients have concussions and the other 30% are other neurological issues. I will do a comprehensive neurological exam in 45 minutes to an hour. And so a lot of times I book out two hours for a new patient. I spend 45 minutes to an hour doing my exam. I sit down, I tell them what my findings are, and then we spend the rest of the time doing different activities to see if we can create a change in their central nervous system. And so I'm using all of my findings from my neurological exam as benchmarks that I go back to to say, did this improve? Right. Right. Yeah. So it's, again, Chinese medicine is a very functional system of medicine. We mm -hmm. feel the pulse. We do a couple points, we go back to the pulse or we go back to the tongue. And so the functional neurology fits in really well with that model because you're just constantly assessing, treating, reassessing, mm -hmm. and you're looking for these functional changes. How much of your treatment is acupuncture and how much of your treatment is other sorts of things? Good question. I would say I'm including acupuncture as one of the tools in my therapy 90% uh, of the time. Mm-hmm. So I use it a lot, but I'm, 
I'm not doing what I used to do. When I was in fertility, you know, people would come in, I'd put needles in them and I'd walk out and I'd go to the next room. And, you know, it mm-hmm. was definitely a, you know, I want you to rest on the table for 20 minutes with needles in. And I still think that that's incredibly valuable. Um, I was laughing with somebody last night about how so many people need to just be pinned to a table so that they just chill out. Exactly. <laughs> and I mean, for me, I can't sit still like, right. you know, you Pinned down like a butterfly, right? I need to be pinned to a table if I'm going to lay there and do nothing <laughs> for 20 minutes. So lots of people need that. Uh-huh. And, um, but I find that with a lot of the time that I'm spending doing examination, I run out of time. And so a lot of my acupuncture treatments are maybe only 10, 15 minutes long, sadly. Um, I'd love to be able to have more time and have everybody come in for, you know, 75-minute appointments. But mm-hmm. a lot of times I will do acupuncture while I'm doing craniosacral therapy or I will do acupuncture while I'm also doing some eye exercises with somebody while they're laying on the table. And so I, I'm really kind of blending a bunch of things together at the same time. Eye exercises. Mm-hmm. When you're trying to get certain parts of the brain activated, if you have an understanding of how different eye movements activate different aspects of brain function, you can use eye movements therapeutically, like you would use a bicep curl to fire your bicep muscle. And so if somebody's left posterior semicircular canal is under firing, you can actually do very specific eye movements down into the right to activate that canal. And so there's just a lot of techniques that you can do with eye exercises to fire into certain parts of the brain and get them active again. Mm -hmm. Would you say this connects in some with how, what's it called? EDMR, I think Mm -hmm. that, that eye movement technique that helps people with uh, PTSD and certain psychomotor Mm -hmm. issues. I have a number of patients that are also doing EMDR for PTSD and for past traumas. Mm -hmm. And I am a big proponent of people trying EMDR if they are dealing with past traumas and PTSD type situations. The, The neurological explanation that I've heard for EMDR that I thought was fascinating and I could understand was that by you're doing these rapid movements with your eyes while you're recalling a traumatic event. And in the process of doing this, you're bringing this traumatic event and all the emotions that you've stored with it back into your working memory. And when it sits in your working memory, you're now re-encoding that trauma differently and ideally without that emotional drive. And so the EMDR is supposed to allow people to essentially re-encode the memory of the trauma in a healthier way so that it's not constantly creating this sense of anxiety and panic and fear. And I don't do any EMDR and I'm not a counselor. And so if people have PTSD and trauma, I'm not in my office trying to get people to relive these events. I'm doing other things, Mm -hmm. but that's the idea of EMDR. Okay. So it is different from what I do, um, but also using... But it has to do with how the brain functions and, and sort of swapping of memory. Yeah. There's a huge connection between the, the pons, the lower brainstem, and connections into the limbic system. And so in the pons, we have what are called these lateral gaze centers that allow us to move our eyes left and right. 
And I don't know if the neurological connections are such that as soon as you start moving your eyes left and right, you can fire into the pons and the pons fires into that limbic system. And then that limbic system fires into the hippocampus and you're able to somehow, you know, rework this entire system by re-encoding these memories. I don't know. But once you learn a lot of these neurological pathways, you can start to have an understanding of this, you know, these highways in the brain and what might be going on. You're kind of a uh, neuroanatomy geek, aren't you? In order to do what I do, you have to be. And neuroanatomy is not easy. And so I still go back to my books and I'm still trying to, you know, peel off one more layer of complexity and go deeper and deeper and deeper. Uh, you know, Dr. Carrick has this insane photographic memory of mm. the brain and all of these different connections and pathways. And it's just phenomenal and completely inspiring. And he teaches these functional brain dissection courses that, uh, I, you know, only heard amazing things about would love to take one, one day. And in order to do neurology, you have to have a very deep understanding of neuroanatomy. Otherwise you don't, understand what it is that you're seeing in your exam. Right. So you can't teach examination techniques until you understand the anatomy behind them. So for folks that are acupuncturists listening to this, mm -hmm. I mean, I know for me it's, it's inspiring and daunting to be having this conversation because on one hand I'm thinking, wow, there's some cool stuff here. I might be able to start picking up some things that I was missing before. Mm -hmm. And then there's the other part of me that goes, oh my God, how much neuroanatomy would I have to learn mm -hmm. to be able to really help people? So I'm wondering if there's some basic screens, some basic things that your everyday acupuncturist would be able to pick up quickly that might help to clue them in. I mean, I know we talked about this earlier, but are there a few things that you could share with the listeners that might help clue people in so that we could at least expand our sense of, oh, there might be this, and, and there's ways with my acupuncture I might be able to get to it. Is that yeah. a fair question? That, that, it's a fair question. It's a daunting question for me because it's kind of like, how do I pick my a favorite child? <laughs> uh, and certainly yesterday I taught some basic exam techniques for different parts of the brain. So we looked at these rapid eye movements, saccades, and, and understanding that the frontal eye fields control eye movements. And so we looked at, is somebody's rapid eye movement from, you know, the center of vision to the left different from the rapid eye movement from their center of vision to the right? And so looking at differences between right and left frontal lobes, and then looking at pursuits and trying to understand, is there a difference between somebody pursuing a target to the left versus is pursuing a target to the right. And so we started to dive into some of that. I would say that the research shows that acupuncture is very good at lighting up the parietal lobe. And the parietal lobe is where we have maps of every body part. And a, a lot of times the example that I use is we treat a lot of frozen shoulders. Mm -hmm. And we've probably all had the experience that somebody comes in with a frozen shoulder and wow, after a few treatments, they're so much better versus somebody that comes in and has a frozen shoulder. And it's like we just, you know, are, are hammering away and they're not getting better. Well, if somebody has a frozen shoulder on the right and in their left parietal lobe, the map of that right shoulder is good, that person's gonna get better faster. Mm -hmm. 
if this other person comes in with a right frozen shoulder and they have a blurred map of their right shoulder in their left parietal lobe, that person's probably not going to get better as quickly because the map in their brain of that body part is poor. And one of the ways you can understand if somebody's mapping is blurred or poor is by doing parietal lobe tests. And so there are some simple parietal lobe tests that any acupuncturist could do. And it's as simple as just taking the palm of their hand and drawing different letters on their hand. And with their eyes closed, can they identify what letter you're drawing on their hand? And if you're drawing letters on someone's right hand and they're getting them wrong, but you go to their left hand and they're getting them right, then you start to say, okay, this person has a right shoulder problem. Um, They have a graphesthesia on the right. These are all signs that that left parietal lobe may not be working so well. And the ability to follow a smooth pursuit to the left is a left parietal lobe function. So then you could look at eye movements and you could say, how well can this person follow my thumb moving to the right? And you go, oh, that looks pretty smooth. And then you go to the left and you start to see their eyes get jerky. Mm-hmm. And you go, wow, okay, so now I have a frozen shoulder on the right. Mm-hmm. They can't identify letters that I'm drawing on their hand or they're getting a couple of them wrong. And then I look and I see that these smooth pursuits to the left don't look very good. So you've triangulated this area. You're triangulating and you're starting to think, maybe I should do some scalp acupuncture over that left parietal lobe. And by doing the combination of the the parietal lobe activation along with whatever needling you're doing, you're going to start bringing more blood flow to that part of the brain that might not be working so well. And so this is how I've taken a lot of my functional neurology training and, and layered that on top of what I already know with acupuncture. And it's changed how I approach people and their issues. In recent years, the Sa'am acupuncture style has generated significant interest and a loyal and growing following. In the Sa'am approach, a precise diagnosis leads to a four-needle treatment to address the five-element and six-chi imbalances in the body. The four needles target the controlling and generating cycles. It's common using this method for the needle sensation to be stronger than in many other styles. Thus, the choice of needle becomes important. The Unico brand of needles lends itself to both strong and gentle techniques. These superior needles are made of uncoated Japanese surgical stainless steel and feature the best guide tube on the market with its unique beveled edge. Additionally, Unico needles have a tensile property that helps with freehanding needles into Jingwell points and allows you to more easily feel the arrival of chi. Blue Poppy is the exclusive importer and distributor of Unico needles. Use the code QI2024 to save 10% off Unico needles at www.bluepoppy.com. You'll be glad you did. Wow. I, I think we've all had this kind of experience where sometimes we treat people and it goes really well. And there's other cases. It's just, we're just not getting anywhere with it. Mm -hmm. So if the body map is stored in the parietal lobes, I mean, that could be shoulder, that could be knee. I mean, it could be, it could be anywhere. Yeah. And we also have our insular cortex, which has a map of our entire digestive tract. And so a lot of people coming in with irritable bowel syndrome 
it's essentially a chronic pain pattern involving the maps of the digestive tract in the brain. Now, I've heard some, some thoughts about pain that there may not be a physical obstruction anymore. But because they've had pain for a long time, it, it's kind of wired into the system. The system is just like hypersensitive. It thinks there's still an issue. So that's, that's where this kind of stuff would reside? That is true, but there's a lot more to it. Mm. Our pain fibers in our body are always firing. Because if they didn't, they'd die. A neuron that doesn't fire is going to die. And so all of our pain fibers are, are firing all the time. And it's the job of our spinal cord and our brain to make sure that the, all of that pain information coming in gets inhibited. Mm-hmm. And again, when we have any kind of concussion or head trauma or just something neurologically happening in the brain, people with Lyme disease, chronic pain is often a failure of the brain to inhibit pain from a top-down modulatory perspective. A lot of times when we have an injured body part, not only is that injured body part now misrepresented in that parietal lobe, and there's, again, kind of a mapping problem, Mm -hmm. but we also, if there's this kind of brain injury on top of it, we lose the top-down modulation or inhibition of that pain. And so people with chronic pain, like you said, yes, may not have a local tissue injury anymore, but their brain is just running these pain loops. And there's a part of the brain called the anterior cingulate cortex, and that's where we perceive suffering. And so people can have pain, and the brain isn't attaching a a suffering component to it. And so for me, like, I might have some neck tension and be like, ah, my neck is tight, but I can ignore it and I can move on with my day and it doesn't bother me. Mm -hmm. But there are some people that that pain is now linked to the anterior cingulate cortex into the suffering loop. And so a lot of chronic pain is actually a, a suffering loop in the brain involving the amygdala and the limbic system and the anterior cingulate cortex. And again, one of the reasons why I think acupuncture can be helpful is because when we're doing certain points, it lights up other parts of the brain. And the brain says, maybe I need to get out of this suffering loop and start activating other parts and do something different. And then that can modulate and dial down the pain as exactly. well. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm not making this up. This is me reading the research and the research that's looking at, from a functional MRI perspective, what happens when we insert needles in the body and what parts of the brain are, are active. And so this is me just regurgitating the actual the research. research that's out yeah. there. Yeah. Is that how most of the research is done is with fMRI? Well, there's a lot of different kinds of research, but I pay a lot of attention to the fMRI research because I'm trying to understand, is there specific point specificity? Do certain points activate certain parts of the brain? And so I read a lot of that kind of research. Mm-hmm. What about the role of inflammation? Inflammation can also be neurogenic inflammation. So we can have inflammation as a result of the brain failing to work properly. So our, our basic Chinese medicine ways of thinking about things and this modern functional neurology that you're doing, where, where are the connections that you see between these two? I'm speaking next week at the International Symposium of Clinical Neuroscience, and I'm going to be speaking to a room of doctors. And the topic of my talk is acupuncture and Chinese medicine parallels in functional neurology. And I'm starting my talk by telling a story about the Huangdi Neijing. 
And in chapter 80 of the Huangdi Neijing, Huangdi says to Chibo, I was climbing at altitude up to East Park, and suddenly I find myself on the ground feeling very disoriented. What do you think happened? And essentially, if you are climbing at altitude and suddenly next thing you know, you're on the ground feeling disoriented, that means that you passed out and you likely hit your head on the way down. And what Chibo says is very interesting. He says, when evil chi strikes the back of the head, it causes the brain to rotate. And when the brain rotates, it pulls the eye connections and the eye connections become strained. And when the eye connections become strained, you will experience visual dizziness and the world and you will feel like the world is spinning and then you will have double vision and so i'm reading this and i'm understanding what's happening when somebody gets a concussion and i understand that the brain rotates and that the medial longitudinal fasciculus which is the neural pathways that link our eye movements together can often become damaged and often people develop nystagmus, which is where the eyes start bouncing around on you, creating visual dizziness. And that after a concussion, people often have vertigo and vestibular issues and blurry dub- and double vision. And so I'm reading this and I'm going, wait a Holy minute. Holy smokes. Holy smokes. Chibo basically has lined out the pathophysiology in a very precise way of what happens when somebody gets a concussion and develops double vision and vertigo and nystagmus. And this was written 3,500 years ago. And then there's another passage where in uh, chapter 63, they describe a protocol for bringing somebody out of a coma. And they say, first you pierce the big toe, and then you pierce the middle toe, and then the bottom of the foot, and then the thumb. And if the person hasn't woken up yet, you blow air into their ear. And now, because of my functional neurology training and my vestibular training, I understand that when you blow warm air into the ear, it activates the vestibular system. And that vestibular system is going to fire into the vestibular nucleus in the brainstem. And so I'm looking at this going, okay, if I understand the homunculus in the sensory cortex, and I understand that the hands and the feet have the greatest amount of real estate in that Mm -hmm, sensory cortex, mm -hmm. you're creating a pain stimulus to the feet and the hands. And in hopes of driving enough information up the spinal cord into the brainstem, and then you're layering that with warm air activation of the vestibular system to see if you can get enough activity happening in the brainstem to fire into that reticular activating system to wake the patient up. That is an amazing functional neurological strategy for bringing somebody out of a coma written 3,500 years ago. And so for any of us to say, why should I have to do a neurological exam? Why should I have to understand neuroanatomy? I'm like, I'm sorry, but the founders of our medicine knew this stuff better than we did. And it's time that we step up and own the knowledge and apply it. I think I need to pull out my Huangdi Neijing and my anatomy (laughs) book and uh, get back to work here. (laughs) Amy, anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners before we uh, head back to things here? Um... I think we covered a lot of information. I think we did too. Yeah. Yeah. My brain's a little numb. Yeah. Um, I have a lot of blog posts that are free available on my website if people want to read more about concussions and neurology. And I try to 
update that information as well. So Great. I'll make sure your website's on the show notes page. Okay. Great. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community.